Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Welcome to another edition of the John Frisella Show here on the Fantasy Impact Today Network. As always, joining me here on the early Saturday morning is John Frisella. How are you doing today, Mr. Frisella? Oh, how am I doing today? You know, when you get a new house, there's always action over there. I, I don't want to get into the details, but I, I could have woke up with a better day, that's for sure. I mean, it's a, it's a real pain in the behind, that's for sure. Being a homeowner is definitely has some of those challenges, and you've met one of those challenges this morning, and I just wish I was there to see it, because when we got on the recording <laughs> together, you just went crazy. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't, I don't want to go fly off the handle here to, yeah. to start off the morning for us. But I, I'm happy. I'm happy to talk about football because I really don't want to think about this. Okay, well that's fine. We won't. We won't talk. It's nothing major. Nothing major at all. But uh, one of the things that we wanted to talk about today, we're going to have some guests in. I hope all this works out. We've been trying to get this guy in here for a minute now. It just hasn't worked out, and and so far things are looking good. Looking good this morning. Brandon Deeg. He reports over there for the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, at least on a beat over there, he has podcasts, different things like that. So we're going to talk to him about the Philadelphia Eagles situation this year, and that you know just the turmoil that happened there. Well, also we're going to look ahead to all these these different games coming up this weekend and kind of look behind us a little bit because it is wrapping up the NFL season in some sort of uh, nice neat package is what we want to do this week Johnny yeah absolutely I mean uh, it's it's good to go back and kind of look at what we laid out before the season uh, by the way I know you know this one I picked the Rams to play the Chiefs in the Super Bowl both of my teams are still on the board and there's not too many teams left so just keep your eye on that because listen the Rams didn't make the playoffs last year so that wasn't an easy prediction they didn't even make it so, you know, we might be heading in that direction, but it's good to kind of backtrack and see where we were and now uh, get up to speed as we get down the home stretch. Well, you can learn a lot of things whenever you look at your history, you know, and, and find your weaknesses and try to exploit your strengths, I guess, a little bit later on and ignore those weaknesses. Like for me and the Chicago Bears win-loss total, you and I both know I had bias going into the season. Whenever I saw what Vegas's line was for them, I just, oh, that it's not going to happen. And then we both know if we weigh it out that I have that Chicago Cubs upbringing where everything, something is going to go wrong with your team. And so when I, when I looked at a Bears win-loss total, I think Vegas had Chicago at eight wins. I said, nah, they're going to win two, two games this year. You know, So that's a good bet. Take the under. And, and they ended up winning eight. So Vegas hit that one right on the head. So you can learn some things about your biases. Yeah, no, you certainly can. I mean, my ours, both of our biases are negative against our teams. I mean, you, look at look at my history. The Jets. I mean, I don't. What do I even have to say? There's no there's no comment. The Mets look like they're starting to come around now, but they still haven't won. And I've been watching for thirty plus years. The Islanders haven't won in thirty plus years as my hockey team. Uh, and the Nets, even though they've been to the championship and they're the talk of the town right now, they haven't won either. So I haven't won a single championship with my four major sports. So I'm like you. I, I just go into it assuming the worst. Yeah, and uh, before we bring Brendan in here in just a little while, why don't we go ahead and go over some of these Vegas win totals compared to what the season is, and we'll kind of run down some of what our uh, impressions were of the teams this year, okay? So we'll we'll yeah. just go ahead and start doing that right now. Uh, the Cleveland Browns, Vegas had them at eight wins this year. I said that they were going to win eight wins. They actually won 11 games this year. John, how impressed are you with the Cleveland Browns this season? Yeah, I mean, it's a good segue into what that beating they put on the Steelers this wow. weekend. That was great. Oh, I really enjoyed that. I it, it was to the point where I was like texting a lot of like I'm usually not the outgoing texter, especially early in a game. 
but I was texting a lot of people like, is this really happening in the first quarter? I mean, the first play, a bad snap turns into a touchdown, and then the Browns just doing it every facet of the game, right? I guess they didn't need head coach Kevin Stefanski. Uh, they, the offensive coordinator did a good job filling in, but everything they did, I mean, Kareem Hunt is a monster. That's what, that's what I take away every time I see him. And I, I backtrack because I remember the controversy with him, of course, completely right. out of line. He basically felonious behavior on his part. And then he became a free agent. Now, I don't want to be insensitive in any way, but from the business side of things, I felt the Jets should have picked him up at the time. So I was, but we have a local chat here, obviously all the people that follow and I was pushing, I'm like, we should get Kareem Hunt once the dust settles, because it's not like Ray Rice where you knew he was going to retire because he was old as it was. And it was too much of a controversy. You knew Kareem Hunt was going to come back anyway. So it, at the end of the line, it ended up being the Browns that got him. And I mean, this guy's a monster. I mean, he's just running five, six guys over at once. What a performance. When we talk about the Cleveland Browns, one of the main topics is always going to be Baker Mayfield. And his emotional status to me is, is what can lead to his downfall. But also, I think that we can see how that leads to the Browns' success, right? Because uh, going into the season, I said that I'm not sure that everybody's in love with uh, Baker Mayfield there in the locker room because of his antics, because of how he is uh, does seem to be like an emotional roller coaster. You see him at the press conferences, sometimes dressed like a million dollars, and then other times it's like, okay, what, what are you are you panhandling right now? What are we doing? Uh, are we asking everybody for a quarter or a cup of coffee? Or and and so I wasn't quite sure how that led into it. But I think they've been able to rally around some of those controversies that happened with them over the COVID issues and so forth. And it's an us against the world mentality in that locker room. Yeah. And I think it's also a misnomer about Baker's personality. I think a lot of it had to do with Freddie Kitchens, right? Because you have to realize, especially when you're the quarterback and you're early in your career and you represent the franchise, you can't go to the media and say what's really going on, which is we are not prepared our team is not ready. The other teams are in better shape than we are. And we can't beat anybody with this coach. So I think a lot of the frustration and Baker, I think had a 77 quarterback rating last year, which jumped up to 96 this year. I think a lot of it had to do with the coaching because you know, you know, when you're a quarterback who's been playing your whole life, when your team is not ready to play at the level of the other teams. So I think it's not a coincidence that that went away this year because Stefanski came in right away as a professional and as a top-tier guy, even though he's a rookie in the head coaching position. And I think that straightened things out. So I think, you know, because Baker does commercials. He's out there. He's had some spats with Colin Coward on his show. But that has nothing to do with the locker room. He's always been very well-liked in the locker room. And I think that straightened itself out with the coaching staff. We're gonna, we got a lot of teams, John, so we're going to have to – I know we can spend a lot of time on the Browns because they're still in the playoff consideration, but we'll have to we'll have to put into consideration some of these time constraints we have as well. The Colts were – Vegas line was nine. I said eight. They finished with 11, 11 for a rookie quarterback coming in. I say a rookie, but, you know, a new team for Phillip Rivers. And, and it really didn't seem to gel early on in the season, John, but they, they put it all together and got 11 victories this year. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's the key stat with this team is they were the only team in the NFL who were in the top 10 in offense, top 10 in defense, and top 10 in special teams. So that's how they arrived at where they were, and, and that was a great game. We opened the whole weekend with the best game of all. Uh, that was an excellent game between the Bills and the Colts. The Colts gave it a good run. They didn't lay down when they got behind, so you like to see that. And uh, they had some spark plays from the offense in the second half, so that was big. But uh, overall, successful year. Uh, they're going to be in limbo also, right? We're going to be talking to Brendan later about the Eagles. They have some limbo over there. Colts got the same issue. Rivers is not sure. 
if he wants to come back. Uh, if he does, will it be with them? Will he retire? Will he go into some sort of, uh, you know, a liaison type of role? We don't know what's going to happen there. So they, they have some fluctuation. But credit overall goes to Frank Reich, one of the most underrated coaches in the mm-hmm. NFL. Um, and it was a solid showing for them. And they, they ran into a team that has been more of a story this year. And they did just enough to win, which was the Buffalo Bills. Steelers were projected to be nine and a half by Vegas. I said they were going to win eight. They won 12 games. They had that huge run at the beginning and, and finished very, very flat at towards the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, they flattened out because they are who they became, right? I, I mm-hmm. don't believe, it, as it was happening early, I really did not think Roethlisberger was back to his old form. I just wasn't buying into it. Um, now I've been reading this week that there's some turmoil there. They may want to push him out. Uh, they may want to move in a different direction because the problem with him is he, at his age and with the injury he had the year before, it's not a coincidence that he became the fastest release in the NFL because he doesn't want to hang in the pocket and he doesn't want to take a hit. So that's a problem to your team. It's good for him. It protects him from getting injured, but every play becomes a quick release. You get nothing downfield. You get no versatility to your offense, and that's how people figured them out. Right, So they started off hot because they had a top-rated defense and their offense was good enough. Then when the offense becomes so predictable, everybody figures you out, there's nowhere to go. There's nowhere to turn to change it and turn it around. So uh, they, they have a, an issue there. And I think the 12 was a little high for them, to be honest. I, I think that was over. I think they were a 10-win team. And uh, I think we talked about a tweet that I had when they were 11-1. I said they might only be the fifth-best team in the AFC. And I think that was true. They were either the fifth or sixth best team, even though they were 11 and one. And before that, they were 11 and 0. So at the end of the day, I think they're a, a slightly above average team. Nothing to be scared about. They definitely didn't have balance in that offense. It was just the quick release. They, they were they were playing like the New England Patriots without any run game whatsoever. So it made it very easy to game plan for them. The Lions, the Detroit Lions, six and a half by Vegas. I said they were going to finish with eight. They actually finished with five, five games. That's that's miraculous. I can't even believe they won five, right? Because I, I feel like every week the story was what type of effort was that from Detroit, mm-hmm. right? I mean, there were some games – listen, we talked about this a lot. The Jets might have only won two games, but they had more than 50% of the games being highly competitive with a ton of effort. And that's all you could ask for when you know your team is not good. You know the Lions are not good without Kenny Galladay, and he missed most of the season. Right. You, you already know your situation. Swift was in and out of the lineup. They had a lot of things they had to deal with there. Stafford, I think the issue with him is he's getting to that same point that I just said about Roethlisberger. He's getting to that point where he's like, well, I got this beautiful house. They posted online that the house that he sold, which was gorgeous. He got an even bigger house. I got this nice family with all these kids and this nice wife. I don't think I want to get my head knocked off. And I don't think we're going to win a Super Bowl with this team. So I got to protect myself. If that means every once in a while, I'm going to drop back and throw one into heavy coverage just to make sure I get rid of the ball and I don't get rocked. Well, gee, that's what I'm going to do. So I think the Lions are in that situation where, you know, he, he doesn't think they can win. Just like I said, Baker Mayfield was aware of that with Freddie Kitchens. I think Stafford knows how limited that team is. And at this point, he's going to protect his own behind. So they're, they're in trouble. They had an effort problem, a coaching problem. Uh, I, I think five wins is a miracle. I think they should have only won two or three games. Hey, John, uh, right now, before we get into any more of these win-loss totals, we are being joined by a good friend of mine on Twitter who we've inter- I've interacted with him a couple of different times. We just haven't been able to find the right scheduling to get on the air together. I wanted to get him on. 
whenever Jalen Hurts took over the role as quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles because he is a writer at the Football Post, a co-host of the Double Doink podcast. And uh, he can he can be reached over on Twitter at Brendan Deeg NFP on Twitter. Brendan Deeg. Hey, Brendan. Thanks for coming on and joining us. Yeah, thanks. I mean, thanks for having me on, guys. How you guys doing? <laughs> Oh, doing we're, doing all, we're doing all right. It's a crazy morning over here and uh, excited to have you on. Thanks for coming on with us. And uh, it was a wacky season for sure for the Eagles. I mean, this this was a wild up and down ride. So I'm sure you have a lot of insight for us. Yeah, it was uh, it was definitely disappointing as an Eagles fan this year. That's for sure. Vegas had you guys as a win-loss total of nine and a half before the season started. I personally thought that the Eagles, I, I, don't, I don't know what it was. It was the vibe I was getting. That 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 I had going into the season. Also, looking at the talent, I just I went out on a limb and I said that the Eagles would only win five games this year, and it ended up only winning four games. And and Brendan, at the beginning of the season, it seemed like everything was injury plagued throughout that locker room. Uh, just on the field, you couldn't get anything going really. How did the season start off for the Eagles with those high expectations, and then all of a sudden the bottom just kind of fell out? Well, I think I, I think uh, again, you you uh, you just said you only had them winning five wins. I actually didn't have them making the playoffs, so I thought the floor was was lower than many people thought, and it turned out to be exactly that. Um, so I'm, uh, I'm I was in agreement with you there. Yeah, um, I think I think it all has to come down to the play of Carson Wentz, unfortunately, um, to kind of get to start it off. Though they they got off hot in the first half of the game against Washington to start off the season, and then went through an interception. Um, in the second, uh, I think it was in the beginning of the third quarter, and then it all kind of took off from there. Um, he was really, he was really bad at the start of the year against the Rams and in that Washington game, and then he never was able to kind of get his feet back under him. He he had like a five game stretch after the LA Rams game where he played okay, uh, but it, it never it never worked out. There was always seemed to be some sort of disconnect between Carson Wentz and his receivers, Carson Wentz and the coaching staff. Um, in general, the offense as a whole just was not there to start the year, and then. And then it just it spiraled downhill fast once once they got bad. So I think I think the first three weeks are under talked about when it comes to talking about the Eagles and just how it kind of all set up for the rest of the year. Brendan, you know, there was a game uh, that was on national TV. I want to say about three quarters of the way through the season. And Brian Greasy was the analyst on the game. And he said there were mechanical issues with Carson Wentz's throwing that he was kind of dropping his elbow and getting underneath the ball. Um, and then in certain spots, it would be reversed where he'd have to put a little touch on it, but instead he threw a rocket line drive and it kind of floated out of bounds. Was, was, mm-hmm. that, was that the talk in Philadelphia that there were mechanical issues, not just mental, that there were some physical problems as well? Yeah, if you take a look at, um, if you take a look at his mechanics, they're, they're shot. You, you, exactly what you said, dropping his elbow. And then the other big thing, I don't know if it's more mechanical um, issues or more in mindset issues, but he, his eyes were dropping to the rush as the year went on. You, you can see it clearly if you kind of watch from week one all the way till he's pulled in Green Bay. Uh, he his eyes were falling to the pass rush. He was getting scared. He was he was um, he was seeing ghosts. I guess is the right terminology there. He he was not trusting his offensive line. He was not trusting the play calling. Jeff McClain just wrote a big piece today um, this morning in the Enquirer, kind of detailing the fall from Carson Wentz. And it, it just seemed like he did not trust anyone around him. He just seemed. Like nothing that anyone was saying was sticking in his mind, and so that brought mechanical issues, that brought trust issues, uh, just just the whole. I think it, it's crazy to kind of just see the downfall and just the mechanical and the mindset issues from now until 2017 or 2019, the the last year's run. 
Um, it's 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 alarming. Well, I got to tell you something. I feel like you and Wes got together this morning without me, and you talked about seeing ghosts because you're trying to set me off on the rails. Because I'm a <laughs> yeah. I'm a Jets fan, and Sam Darnold when he was seeing ghosts, that was like a low point in my life. So I feel like you guys you guys worked on that phrase together just to get me riled up. Well, you're already riled. Yeah, that, that was that was. Because of the squirrel, so maybe we did. I mean, we did. Yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, Brendan, I, I, here's, here's something. I, I love conspiracy theories, Brendan, okay? And as okay. I was watching the last game of the Eagles and that second half when the, all the Giants fans needed the Eagles to win that game and all of a sudden Jalen Hurts is benched, and they put it, I don't even remember who they put in there. And they're, you know, taking a look at the young quarterback that they had. Uh, uh, so when that happened and everybody, Twitter was going crazy, it clicked to me. Wait a minute here. Doug Peterson is kind of sending a message of, I don't care about this team for the future. And then it made me backtrack to when Jalen Hurts had his first start in the NFL. It made me go, huh, maybe that was more of a front office decision than a Doug Peterson decision. Uh, who who actually put Jalen Hurts in the game? Was that Doug Peterson? Was that the front office? How much tension was there between Doug Peterson and that front office? So are you talking like originally in the Green Bay game, like when they pulled Carson, whose idea was to put Hurts in? Yeah, I, I, all, yeah. All, all throughout there, it seemed like there was just uh, some some uh, uh, some unexplainable differences between the the season going forward. Yeah, I, I think – I think it just had to be done. I was I was personally calling for him to be benched at halftime in the Dallas Cowboys Sunday night game when he, that was one of the worst quarterback performances I've ever seen. Um, he was terrible in that football game, and then it just never got better. The next the next four games were one of the worst offensive performances I've seen Eagles put up in my lifetime. I'm an Eagles fan for over 20 years. It, it, it was bad, um, and I, I, he needs to be pulled. I think it came. I think it was just it had to be done. I don't know if there was a specific person that wanted him to. I think in the end they kind of all realized it was time for him to take a seat. Um, but I will say this. I think Howie Roseman has a lot more love for Doug, for, for Carson Wentz than Doug Pearson did. I think Doug Pearson and the coaching staff was getting, were getting pretty frustrated with Carson Wentz as the year progressed. Look, Howie Roseman, the Eagles GM, Carson Wentz is his baby, right? He traded all those draft picks away. He traded up and got him. That was Howie Roseman's big swing as a general manager was trading up and drafting Carson Wentz. That was, that was kind of his, his um this is what he's known for, right? Was making that move. So he, of course, was going to hold on to Carson Wentz and wanted to see what he can do and wanted to see if he can get out of this rut. And I think Doug Pearson was sick of it. I think it just kind of came into an overall realization that this this offense was going nowhere fast and they needed to uh, make a move. And where where does it go going forward, Brendan? So uh, you know where what happens for Wentz as he goes forward in his career, and how do you feel about Hertz as a full time starter? Uh, and is there another option? Is there, you know, a trade for a Matt Ryan? Is there something else, some some veteran that you bring in temporarily or create a competition? What do you see for Wentz, Hurts, and the quarterback position with Philadelphia going forward? So uh, you guys aren't going to like my answer um, here, but uh, honestly, your guess is as good as mine right now at this wow. point. I, I am. It is all over the place. Like you got Jeff McLean um, at Philly Inquirer dropping articles on Carson Wentz this morning. Um, it, it's a really interesting piece. If you want to go read that, it, it's it's kind of it's kind of sparked the Eagles. Uh, it's kind of sparked some talk about Carson Wentz being uncoachable um, and, and those kind of things. So I, I, right now, I think the most realistic scenario is Carson Wentz is back in 2021 um, with a new head coach. I, they he just do so much money, and they've already. The biggest thing is too is everyone's like, oh, we can uh, they can trade him, they can get on the cap hit, and they can move on. 
they're not writing the checks. Jeffrey Lurie's already paid Carson Wentz $58 million in the past three years. Like he, that's a lot of money he's already poured into him. And to say like the, that we can trade him and get rid of $30 million and accept that sunk cost, well, not everyone's walking around with $30 million that can give Carson Wentz, right? Jeffrey Lurie's the owner. He's writing the checks. He decides what happens. And in my opinion, if you've already paid a guy $56 million, you kind of want to write it out. I will say this. I, think they're, I don't think Carson Wentz is happy in Philadelphia, and I think he wants out. So I think there might be kind of a little of a stare down here between Philadelphia and Carson Wentz. I honestly don't know either if there's a good suitor out there for him. The Indianapolis Colts is the one that everyone's talking about because there's a Frank Reich connection. Frank Reich was the offensive coordinator um, for the Philadelphia Eagles in 2016 and 2017. So that's when Carson Wentz had his most success as an NFL quarterback. So there's obviously you can make that connection there because he's the head coach in Indianapolis. But like that's a really risky move for a franchise to trade for Carson Wentz right now, like he was not good in 2020. He was bottom three quarterback. I think he was the worst quarterback in the NFL in 2020. So like, wh- how do you convince, how do you say to your fans and to your front office of your team, like, Hey, we're going out and trading for the worst quarterback last year. And he's do a bunch of, yeah, I, the only I, way, the only way you could convince them is if you had like a guru, which the Eagles don't have. Yes. Right. So, yes, and, and it's going to be hard for them to fill the position. So to trade yes. him elsewhere, he'd have to go somewhere where the team already has a sharp offensive mind that they can rely on to build him up and build him back up. That's that's not going to happen because he's going to go to a team that's a project, and the coach that you bring yeah. in here looks like it's going to be the bottom of the list. Yeah, um, I, 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 the, the coaching thing bringing to Philadelphia, I, I think there's actually a couple good candidates out there right now that that they could still go for. I personally think Deuce Staley is the way to go. The Eagles running back coach, he's been in the. Uh, He's been in the organization for years. He deserves. He finally deserves a shot at the Eagles head coaching position. He's a great candidate. I think that's ultimately the way to go. But it just if you look, if you take a look around the league, I don't know if there's another team out there that is kind of just waiting for Carson Wentz. Like you have, to, there's a lot of convincing to do, and you have to love the guy. Like if it, I think Frank Reich, I don't know. If, I think Frank Reich loves Carson Wentz still, but I don't know if he loves him enough to give up to give up draft capital and then give up money to pay him. So um, I think. I personally think he's back just because of the money. And I, I think it might be a mill messy. Um, but honestly, I'm going to have to wait to see who the Eagles hire head coach. So I'm sorry to say, but yeah, your guess is as good as mine at this point. <laughs> I think he'll, I think he'll end up in the bears uh, system and there'll be a three headed quarterback monster in Chicago <laughs> between Nick Foles, Carson Wentz and Mitch Trubisky. And we do have a great offensive mind in Nagy. Hey, uh, <laughs> Brendan, that's a, that tongue in cheek, tongue in cheek right there, Brendan. Uh, <clears throat> how yeah, in my- the world... How in the world, my, 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 Sorry, sorry. I'm just going to jump here. My co-host is a Chicago Bears fan, and he oh. he does not want Carson Wentz. <laughs> we talked about that on my podcast, so that'd be pretty interesting. Uh, how did Doug Peterson yeah. get on the outs so quick? I mean, he, he brought a championship to Philadelphia. It seems to me like that was just yesterday, and all of a sudden, Doug Peterson is looking for a job. Speculation is that he might go on to be a coordinator in Seattle right now. How, how did that happen so fast? He was tired of being told what to do. Uh, I don't know if you know the ins and outs of the uh, of the Eagles front office, but they they have Jeffrey Lurie's the owner, and Howie Roseman is the general manager, and they are pretty tied to the hip. Um, Howie Roseman has done, in my opinion, a, one of the worst jobs in the league the past three years of building this roster, and he's been meddling and he's been kind of telling Doug Pearson who to play on weekdays. He's been dictating um, who should start, and I think Doug Pearson was just kind of fed up with it. Howie Roseman, he's got. He's been in the Eagles organization for 
over 20 years now. He's been general manager, I think, nine of those 20 years. He was the general manager before the Chip Kelly era in Philadelphia. Him and Chip Kelly did not see eye-to-eye, and I don't think him and Andy Reid saw eye-to-eye when Andy Reid left as well. So this is now three head coaches that Howie Roseman has, has, has butt-heads with in the Eagles organization. And it's crazy to think that this guy is allowed to now hire his third head coach as a general manager of the Eagles. That, that's job security that I think anyone in the world would love. I don't know how he's allowed to do that, but just the, the structure the Eagles have in the front office is remarkably toxic. And I think Doug Peterson just wanted out of there. He was sick and tired of being told what to do. He's a Super Bowl winning head coach. He should be allowed to decide who his coaches are and who his players are. He deserves that benefit of the doubt. The Eagles never gave him that. Um, I think Doug Peterson's still a great head coach. I think he'll succeed wherever he goes. Um, and I, I don't know if the grass is greener on the other side for Eagles fans. Yeah, you know, the you make a really great point, which is just rubbing people the wrong way in your organization, right? Imagine scaring off Andy Reid. I mean, Andy Reid, talking about a top two or three coach, in my opinion, in the history of the game. And yep. just being who he was scared him off. So you make you make a really great point there. Um, I mean, do you see? And uh, you can you can leave us after this one. Do you see ever a change in the front office in the next three, four, five years, or is he like locked in? This is this is it. This is it. They got their feet in the ground, and this is the way it's going to be. What do you see for the future of the front office of the Philadelphia Eagles? Well, first off, as an Eagles fan, I pray to God that he's not in the front office for the next five years. If he is, then he's done a good job, I guess. But no, he should have been. He should have been fired this year. They should have blew it up with him. It was just clear as day that Jeffrey Lurie should have just, just cleaned house, got rid of Doug, got rid of Howie. Let's start fresh. He did not do that. Howie's now back. I honestly, I, I, it's very worrisome um, for Eagles fans, and I think it's kind of scary to see the fact that he's back in 2021 because if he's not gone after this year, I don't know how he can be fired. Like he's done such a poor job. I draft like the, if you take a look at the Eagles draft picks for say and who they've taken the past three years and the talent they've got out of it, it it's remarkably bad. They've they've been a bottom two. I think I think they're thirty first in the league in talent drafted the past three years. He just some of the contract he signed like the Alshon Jeffrey extension was a tr- was a just was just an awful signing. Bringing back to Sean Jackson never worked out. Sean Jackson played in eight total games in the past in thirty two possible games for the Eagles. Like that's that's awful. He just he's made constant bad decisions since they won the Super Bowl. So if he hasn't been fired yet, it, it's pretty scary and worrisome to, uh, for Eagles fans because I don't think he's getting fired anytime soon. Wow. All right. Well, Brendan, I appreciate you making the time for us. You've answered some of the questions that I've had going around in my head. It seems like it's a really bad situation there. When I look at that going forward next year, I don't know how much further I'll go up on my four wins for him next year, not even knowing their <laughs> schedule right now. Just It sounds messy in Philadelphia. So, Yeah, I, it's, um, it's just, this is as bad as it's been, I think, since the uh, after the, you guys remember the Dream Team era when the Eagles signed all those free agents. Nambi Asamoah, awesome, Vince Young, and they called themselves the Dream Team back in 2012. Um, that they went four and 12 after that year. I think that I think it's just as bad as that. Like it, this is it's been it's been almost eight nine years since you've seen this kind of dysfunction in Philadelphia. That's wow. quite a name drop. Asamoah awesome, went from being a top two or three quarter in the league to out of the league in two years just by putting on an Eagles uniform. Yeah, now he's now he's an actor. I think he's in a, he's in a movie on Amazon Prime, Amazon Prime. So he's had a pretty <laughs> funny career. <laughs> Brendan Deeg yeah. there joining us here on the Fa- John Frisella Show on the Fantasy Impact Today Network. Thank you so much, Brendan. You can follow him on Twitter at Brendan Deeg NFP on Twitter. Thank you, Brendan. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you.
Hey, by the way, I don't think I even mentioned it. You can follow John Frisella on Twitter at LegendSports7. You can follow me as well at LoafingIt on Twitter. Don't forget to follow the show at FI Today with a little underscore right there. John, let's talk about a couple of more of these things. Uh, did you have any impressions, though, of Brendan real quick? Yeah, yeah, Brendan's a great guy. I mean, it's he, well, you can see he's very passionate about his team, right? So it's, it's always a tricky situation because I have, obviously, the background in journalism as well. It's always tough when you're the paper and your reporters like the team. Um, good thing is Brendan is a professional, but the Jets had this problem, and that's why I bring it up. They had to fire the main reporter, Manish Mehta, because he was too passionate, like he was too biased because he was a Jets fan. So that's why it's good to have a professional like Brendan. I use him as a, as a good example of somebody who's still going to do his job the right way, whether or not he's a fan of the team, which he mentioned uh, in his answers. But, you know, he did a great job there, so we'd love to have him back in the future. Yeah, and it just really sounds messy there. He painted a picture, and I think that I'm going to trust his his uh, picture painting abilities. That maybe it sounded a lot like Rob Ross, if you ask me. You know, painting that picture of the Philadelphia Eagles, and and it just sounded messy. It just it seems like it's turmoil there. Yeah, no, I mean, I think the the key point in everything that he said was once the front office is telling the coaches how to do their job, you can't win. That's the end of the line. Right, The way to run an organization and have trust in the organization is for everybody who's in their role to feel like the team has confidence in them in that role. So that's not happening in Philadelphia. It's like we know more than you, but we're in our role, ownership or GM, but we know more than you in what you're supposed to do. Once you have that, forget it, especially in the NFL because odds are against you as it is. You got 32 teams, right? You got five or six teams that are like a well-oiled machine like the Saints, right, like the Chiefs, those type of teams that you just know you can count on them every single year. So if you're going to have that type of dysfunction, there's nowhere to go but down if you're the Philadelphia Eagles. No, I agree with you. Hey, let's talk about one more win-loss total here, and then we'll get out of this and head off into uh, the playoff sunset here. Uh, the Giants. The Giants, they were scheduled to win six and a half games this season by Vegas. I said they would win nine. They ended up leading, uh, only winning six, John. And, and to me, this was a lot to do with the new coaching staff, Daniel Jones, the new offensive coordinator there. The, the offense could just never click like I saw it clicking last year, regardless of who was injured or who was in the game. Daniel Jones was able to take that talent and just raise it to another level. This year, they took a big step back. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Daniel Jones has been a hot topic lately because uh, I don't know if you've heard, and this is maybe something that comes up in the future, sports card collecting is back in a major way, oh, yeah. like huge. The The highest sold card ever was this week. A Mickey Mantle card, a rookie card, sold for $5.2 million this past week. So in all sports, right, including the NFL, NFL, NBA, and MLB in particular, those three are smoking hot. And here's the thing. My buddies that are into it, I'm not really into the stuff I was as a kid. They told me that Daniel Jones is a hot card. People like to have Daniel Jones rookie cards. And I'm like, what league am I watching? Like, what, what? I mean, look, Daniel Jones is fine. You know, you know how I am. I'm oh. very fair. It's very, it's very hard to play quarterback in the NFL. He's fine. There's, there's 64 quarterbacks that are relevant, 32 teams times two, one backup apiece. He's probably in the 30s. It's not like he's going to tank your franchise, but a hot card? I mean, give me a Pat Mahomes. Give me a Josh Allen. I don't want any Daniel Jones cards. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And I don't know that he's a fine. I think that he's a handsome man. I'm not going to say that he's fine, though. I don't know <laughs> if that's the... <laughs> well, he looks like he was part of the Manning family, so it depends on how you that's feel about true. them. But, that's you true. know, it looks like he's the third Manning in that, in that family. 
We have got four games to cover here in the divisional round of the playoffs. I think that's what it is called. And we have to get into these right now, John. This is the first game kicking off here at 315, I believe, this afternoon. It is the Los Angeles Rams versus the Green Bay Packers. And what we always like to do is we like to look at it from a Vegas perspective and also from a fantasy perspective and now of course fantasy teams are all gone and and done so we got to look at from a dfs perspective john right now this game total well let me let me back it up let me tell you what it started out as the game total started out at 47 it's dropped one and a half is that right is that the point to 45 and a half points It, it started out as the green bay packers being favored by seven and now they're favored by six and a half john what do you see happening in this game because i can't see the rams scoring much over 12 points. Well, now that everybody says that about the Rams, you would think you would watch your behind after last week, right? How many mm-hmm. times have people said this about the Rams? It's like, uh, they're not, it's not pretty what they're doing out there. You know, people like to say that, or they have injuries at the quarterback position and, do, and it's all disjointed and it doesn't make sense. Well, guess what? The sharp play of the week last week was the Rams. And we did address that on the show, right? So it, it's funny. I, I entered a pool right before the game started. And I said, you know what? In the pool against 36 other people, I bet you there's going to be a lot of people making the obvious picks, right? Like we said, if you made all the obvious picks last week, we predicted in advance, you'll probably just go three and three, which is exactly what happened. But one of those obvious picks was taking Seattle with Russell Wilson with the Rams having a weird quarterback situation. And guess what? The Rams whooped them. And the sharp pick was the right play. And I think we're in the same situation here. I think people are still saying, the Rams offense does not look good. How much can you really do on defense? And the key here is the line was seven. It dropped to six and a half, and it's still 59% on the Packers. It's it's near the middle, but it's enough for me to say the sharp play so far. Here we are at 1025 Eastern time on Saturday. The sharp play so far looks like it is the Rams. And I'm going to stick with them, number one, because I picked them to go to the Super Bowl before the season. So I'm going to keep riding that train. And I do think a lot of people right before the the kickoff, the public fans are going to jump on the Packers because they got those pretty players. They got Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones, Devontae Adams. I think they're going to jump on them and push that over 60%. So I'm going to go with the solid play, the sharp play. I'm going to take the Rams. Do you think that Jalen Ramsey will be able to negate Devontae Adams or is Devontae Adams one of those guys that you can hope to contain, but you can't just stop him? No, you can't stop Devontae Adams. He's the best. He's, he's, he's established himself now as the best in the league. Uh, they will have Ramsey there. They will do the bracket coverage. They will have help from the safety on the same side. Um, but what you're hoping for if you're the Rams, and obviously they're very savvy when it comes to defense. If you can win with the quarterback situation, what it's been under pressure in the last few weeks, um, obviously they know what they're doing on the defensive end to make sure they get things straightened out. So with that being said, what they're going to do is they're going to try to force those other guys to beat them. And there's one guy in there who's the X factor to the game, right? That's Valdez Scantling. When he's on his game, he gives you two touchdowns. He gives you a long one. He makes some explosive plays. When he's off his game, he drops three, four balls in the same game, and he could cost you the victory. So I think if you're the Rams, you want to put pressure on him. You want to get in his head. Who knows what they're saying there on the field? So you want to get under his skin and try to rile him up and make him be the one to make mistakes. Uh, MVS is plus 325, according to the DraftKings Sportsbooks, to catch a touchdown, to get a touchdown, I should say. Uh, that, that seems like incredible value to me because I think the same thing. It just it, they, they aren't giving him any credit. They're not, they, they barely have him at two catches, I think, this week. 
Yeah, so, I mean, knowing that, even though I think that he will be an X factor in the game and it could be a negative for Green Bay, I have to agree with you. It's still worth it to throw a little something on there um, because he could break loose, especially if Devontae gets the uh, double team. So it's not something I would personally do, but if I had to pick the side in that play, I would probably take him to try to score a touchdown at plus 325. Oh, it's something I would personally do because you know I'm crazy like that, Johnny. You know I'm crazy like that. Hey, uh, always this season, we have said the Green Bay Packers' run defense is not up to par. Is is this going to be a huge DFS game for Cam Akers or even a Malcolm Brown? Yeah, I mean, Akers looked good in the second half of last game, which I think is a good sign, right? Because a lot of times, well, it makes sense if you parse through the entire season for the Rams, right? They had the stretch at the beginning where Malcolm Brown came out roaring, right? Daryl Henderson then came through the middle of the season like a monster. He slowed down. And what that did was it allowed Akers to keep his legs. It worked out great for them because here they are. They made it this far, and Akers is still looking fresh. So at this point, if I had to pick between the two, I'm going to go with Akers. I like that he closed the game well last week, and I like that he still looks fresh. So so he's going to be my pick out of the two Rams running backs. Yeah, I, I think that you're right. I, I believe that that's so. Uh, Cooper Cup. He looks like he's going to play. It looks like Robert Woods is going to play. Are either one of them going to be effective this week at all? Can we count on either one? Or is this just like, I don't, I don't know who's going to end up winning on the Rams team from a DFS perspective, and we really have to count on their defense to win this game from a Vegas perspective. Right. I think the Rams defense is the play of this entire team. I, I think, you know, we talk about how the lines will tell you what story the game needs to have for each team, right? And we know it right off the bat. If the Packers want to cover this spread, they got to play up and down high scoring game. They got to make the Rams uncomfortable in their offense. That's the way they need to win. If the Rams want to, they want to cover, they need this to be a defensive game. And I'm going to tell you right now, the interesting line is the Rams defense on DK is only 2,600 second from the bottom. So I think if you're looking for the value play, you want to just give them a shot. Of course, everybody's afraid of the Packers offense with good reason. You got the MVP, Aaron Rodgers. You got Matt LaFleur, one of the top young coaches in the game. So for sure, you got to be concerned. However, you're going to open up a lot of salary there when you go and make your lineup if you put those ramps in there at 2,600. Would I put them on all my teams? No. Would I put them on 25%, maybe one-third of my teams? I think I would just to take a chance and see if they pay off at that 2,600 salary. So I'm scratching my head. I know Aaron Jones had a good season statistically, mm -hmm. but I just don't see him active and involved in games. I don't know how in the world that happened when I look at his season-ending numbers. How is he going to fare against this the stout Rams defense that we just got done talking about today? Yeah, I mean, I love Aaron Jones. He can, he can play well against any team. That's what I like about Aaron Jones. He, there, there are a lot of running backs who, if you, if you go back through the season – which is something I do at the end of the year and then also before I do my rankings the following year. If you go back through the season, there are a lot of running backs who beat up on the bad teams. Aaron Jones is not one of those guys. Matter of fact, you can make an argument that sometimes that hinders him because the teams are so bad. When you play those weaker teams, everything works when you're the Packers' offense, so you don't even need to lean on an Aaron Jones. This is a game where I think if the Packers are going to cover this, which I, I don't think they will, but if they are from their perspective – uh, Aaron Jones is going to have to be a key factor. He's going to have to be one or two touchdowns, very physical inside the red zone, finishing those runs against those punishing guys in the Rams uh, linebacker core. So you got, you got to watch out for Aaron Jones. I think he's worth the upside play in DraftKings because, again, 
As much as I like the Rams to cover the spread, and I think that's the sharp play, we don't know anything. It's predicting the future. So at 6,800, he might scare some people away, right? So you mm-hmm. might be getting him against that Rams defense when other people don't have him. So I do think he's worth a play in DraftKings. I look at this line, and I, I, the 45-and-a-half is the lowest point total of the week. It's only a six and a half point spread. That means they believe that the Green Bay Packers, according to Vegas, I say believe that they're trying to entice you to think that the Green Bay Packers are going to score a lot and the Rams are not going to score a lot. I like Cam Akers being able to run the ball. I like him being able to do those kind of things. And and you're right. That offense is savvy enough to be able to get some things done. And they've got a a good enough kicker, I, I believe, to be able to keep this close and to keep it within six and a half. I like the Green Bay Packers to win this game outright, but for the Rams to be able to cover the spread. Yeah, I, th- I think that's probably the way to go. I mean, it would be awfully hard for the Packers after the year they had to come in here and just lay down and go away, right? I, I, I just don't see, I, I can't see that storyline playing itself out. However, the Rams like to defy the odds. That's been the storyline for them. So de- I would say this is the most interesting game on the schedule. Right, You have the best game, in my opinion, is not the one that people are saying. I think the best game is Baltimore and Buffalo, and we're going to get there. That's going to be a great game. I think that's the one to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, of course, we're very interested to watch Brady against Breeze, uh, where obviously we're very intrigued by that. But I think that Buffalo and Baltimore game is going to be the best one. But the most interesting, the one that makes the least sense and will confuse you, is going to be this Rams and Packers game. I agree. This Baltimore-Buffalo game will be very fun to look at. We have two of the best young quarterbacks in the league, and Josh Allen is the one who took a step forward from throwing uh, last year compared to this year. He's he's taken a step forward. Lamar Jackson is still just struggling with that throw a little bit, but look at this one line, John. This is, this is a little bit weird. This game total has actually gone up. It started out the week at 49. It's gone up to 49 and a half, but the Buffalo Bills started the week being favored by three that's dropped down to two and a half so i don't know how to read that explain that to me how does the line go up but the favorite goes down yeah i mean that's you know that's this is a classic sharp play and i don't even care if it's a sharp play i'm taking the ravens all the way and i back up to what i said before which is that magic moment when lamar jackson with everybody watching on national tv in a divisional game against the browns who we now know are a very serious team not to be messed with, right? He made that play when he came in from the locker room uh, after cramping up and having COVID right before that in a severe case of COVID, and he throws a 45-yard touchdown, and the Ravens go on and win, and they run the table the rest of the season. From that point, and I'm sticking with it just like I stick with the Rams. I picked them before the season. I believe the Ravens are the second-best team in the AFC behind the Chiefs. I am sticking with the Ravens, I, and here's the key, and this is where I differ with you, my friend. Last week, you made a point that you thought Buffalo's defense was on the come up. I got to remind you, some of their better games down the stretch were against some of the weaker offenses. Yes, they had good performances, but go back through the last four or five. Three of those games were against offenses that were on a downward slope. So when you look at that, and then you look at how they played last week, which is as soon as they got ahead, they gave up. The the Colts offense, it was like they could throw a five-yard slant and turn into a 70-yard gain against that Buffalo defense. So I think Lamar Jackson's going to run wild. I think Hollywood Brown has his confidence back. Um, I think you got two running backs you got to watch out for, Dobbins and Gustavus Edwards. I'm going Ravens all the way, no hesitation, 100% pick for me. It's the Ravens.
<laughs> we had uh, 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 who J.B. Barry and I had uh, Annie O.C. on as part of our Fantasy Magnet podcast. We had a whole bunch of guests on this past week, and she was our Baltimore Ravens expert, and she did a great job talking about the Ravens, and that is one of the times that she pointed to that the Ravens season really turned around was that Lamar Jackson moment that you've been talking about for weeks and weeks now. That was the first thing I thought of whenever I heard her talk about that. And I pulled some stats up, John. Ravens have won six straight games. Yep. Uh, with with 230 or more rushing yards in five of those six games, the defense has only allowed 14 points or less in four straight, 20 points or less in six out of the last seven. Now listen to this one. This is this this is the one that has me leaning very heavily on the Baltimore Ravens, not only to cover the spread but to win the game outright as well. The Bills are averaging. 4.6 yards per rush. They're letting that up to the offensive side of things. And I've just talked about how good the offensive running game is. The Bear, the Bills allowed the third most rushing touchdowns to quarterbacks, John. And last week, last week, they allowed the Colts to catch, the Colts tight ends to catch 14 catches for 136 yards. And we know Mark Andrews is fantastic. Uh, John, I, I can't. I, I I agree with you completely. I don't know how Buffalo wins this game. I think Baltimore walks in there and just runs all over them. I think I think you're right. I think it might actually be a blowout. That's what people don't know, right? That's why that's why you come to the John Frisella show on the Fantasy Impact Today <laughs> Network because we're not just going to give you, hey, it's a two and a half point spread. Maybe they're going to win by three. We're going to tell you, you might see a blowout from a road team that barely made the playoffs, Baltimore beating a team that everybody's been talking about for weeks and weeks and weeks, Buffalo, you might see a two or three score victory for the Ravens. And here's where, here's how I see this playing out. The 49 and a half over under. Okay. My initial instinct was the, the bills can't stop Baltimore. And then they may, when they get behind Buffalo, they may get those garbage points and then mm -hmm. it's going to be an, be an over, right? The problem is it's 69% on the over. So now I'm thinking, how do you back into the under? And I can tell you how you back into the under if the Ravens blow out the Bills. So if you if you give the Bills right, we're at 49 and a half. I think this is a good score. Uh, and I'm gonna lay this down for you, 30 to 17. That that works perfectly, and I think that makes a lot of sense. If wow. it's a if it's a game where Baltimore gets out to the lead, and that, remember when Baltimore gets ahead, they're the best at the league at draining the clock through the running game because they're using all three guys. They're using Lamar Jackson, they're using Dobbins, and they're using Edwards. So you can't say, oh, they're going to line up with a heavy formation and they're going to run it up the middle to run out the clock. That's not what they do. They use the misdirection. You don't know what they're going to do when they're running out the clock. So with that being said, they get a lead. Buffalo gets a little bit nervous like they did last week. I saw them sweating when Indianapolis started coming back. And it, they, they can't get their feet off the ground. They can't get going in the right direction. The Ravens get up to that 30-point. But, uh, Buffalo's down 30 to 10. They jam in that garbage touchdown that nobody cares about. You got 30, 17. That's 47 points. That's an under and the Ravens cover it by more than a couple scores. So I think that's the score 30 to 17 Baltimore Ravens. Well, and this is a good letdown spot for the Buffalo Bills as well, because last week was the first week they had won a, a victory in the playoffs in a long, long time. So mm -hmm. I, I look at that as the Cleveland Browns as well. Both of these teams could come into this game being let down because maybe they had such a tremendous victory last week. And the money line is 64% on Buffalo, John. Usually we, we want to run away from the public whenever it's that big of a number. I don't think it's going to get to 75% like, like we may see during the regular season, 65% in the playoffs seems like a pretty big public number. I have a good theory on this as well. You ready for sure. this theory? Hit, hit me with the theory. The Buffalo Bills defense. 
usually practices against a mobile quarterback, right? I mean, I'm going to say a running quarterback. I don't even want to say mobile because Josh Allen is more of a running quarterback, the same as Lamar Jackson is. But the Buffalo Bills defense is used to seeing Josh Allen running in practices. So the speed part of the uh, of of their calculations of how fast is this quarterback running, how fast is this running, is not going to be the same whenever Lamar Jackson starts to take off. Lamar Jackson's a lot faster than Josh Allen. The muscle memory of the Buffalo Bills defense is not going to be able to keep up with Lamar Jackson being able to run the football like that. And on the flip side, the Baltimore Ravens defense is used to seeing Lamar Jackson run all over the field. Josh Allen is going to look like Nick Foles running around out there to them. You know, I mean, they're going to be a step ahead of him. They're going to know which direction he's going, and they'll be able to react a lot quicker. I love the Baltimore Ravens this week. So I'm Listen, taking we, we must have been brothers in a past life because I have a phrase for what you just described, your theory. Right. It's called comparative shell shock. That's what it's called. What that means is whoever you played the week before, and you'll see how it correlates, if they're a weak team and you beat them up, and then the next week you play a good team, you can't possibly clock that in practice. And that's what you can't clock the difference from what you just faced. So you say, oh, I'm riding high. We ran good last week against a weaker team. Now that better team comes in with their speed and their power, and they blow the doors off you. And I used, I remember I used that example the year when everybody thought Denver was going to beat Seattle in the Super Bowl. And I said, wait until Denver faces this legion of boom defense that they haven't seen. They've been steamrolling weak defenses all the way to get to the, the Super Bowl. Just wait until they see that speed, how disruptive it's going to be. And I, that was the heaviest I ever put on a game. And I put on Seattle, and that was a blowout. I was in, the game was over in the first five minutes in that Super Bowl. Um, and that's what you just described, comparative shell shock of, of dealing with Josh Allen, who's big and strong, but he's not even one eighth of the speed of Lamar Jackson. So we're on the same page. That's that's the phrase that that's what I call it. Comparative shell shock. And the Ravens are going to run away with this thing. You, so you're throwing two phrases. I, I wrote down felonious. I got to go and look at felonious. I don't even know how to spell means felonious. Felonious, that means a- felonious means a felony. Right. So Kareem Hunt. His, he, when he beat up his, his girlfriend, that was a felony in my opinion. I don't think he got busted for that, but that's felonious behavior. That's just not acceptable in any way, shape, or form. I, I bookmarked another – somebody tweeted out something, and I was like, I have never seen that word before. And so when, when I wrote down uh, felonious I, – maybe I did spell it kind of right. Anyway, the Cleveland Browns versus the Kansas City Chiefs are the next one, and the Cleveland Browns are coming off a huge victory against an arch rival for the Pittsburgh Steelers. This looks like a perfect spot for a letdown game to me again, John, this week. This point total started out the week at 55. It's gone up to 57 and a half. This is almost a 60-point game total, John, in the playoffs. The Kansas City Chiefs were favored by nine and a half at the beginning of the week. It's jumped up to 10. Is this a letdown spot for the Cleveland Browns? Uh, it's. I don't call it a letdown because I would not expect them. That would be disrespectful after the way they played last week and the way they played this year. Uh, I thought they were equal or better, and I did pick the Browns last week, so this is not revisionist history. I thought they were equal or better than the Steelers all season, which is why I picked Cleveland last week. So I would not disrespect them and ever expect them to have a letdown, right? So I I wouldn't call it that. But what I will say is everybody's got that thought in their mind. Hey, I've already spoken to a couple of people that are kind of generic football fans. Hey, the Browns looked really good last week, and 10 points is a lot of points. You know when you hear that. You know what that means. I'm running away from that pick because I hear a lot of people saying that. Right now it's only 53-47, but I think the layperson is going to think that. So I'm going to go with my bread and butter, and I call them the gravy train. I call them the ATM. If you're in the playoffs, 
and you got Pat Mahomes and Andy Reid and Tyreek Hill, and you got this entire squad up and down. They know how to win. They don't get rattled if they get behind. They know how to cover spreads if they get behind. They can do it every which way. I'm taking the Chiefs. Uh, uh, for me, I'm telling you right up front, the Ravens and the Chiefs are my breadwinners against the spread. You can't convince me otherwise. I would take those two games over anything else. Wow. All right. I, I will believe you on that. You know what I'm prepared for for Kareem Hunt? You know, the big talk is the revenge narrative and the revenge game and all that. Mm -hmm. I, 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 that hasn't worked very often this year, in my opinion. I haven't seen the revenge game work very often in the NFL. I, I can't remember who I was talking to, but they just talked about how there's too many factors on an NFL field to really get your revenge. You know, you have to get the ball from the quarterback. The play has to be called. All those things. You could do that in the NBA a lot easier than you could do it in the NFL or in the MLB for a batter against a pitcher or anything like that. And in the NFL, it just doesn't work out that much. I can see Kareem Hunt from a DFS standpoint being a decoy more so than being the guy today. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's not that he's going to be the guy anyway, but uh, first of all, we've been doing the show all season and preseason. Have you heard me say anything about that the entire year, revenge game? Have I mentioned it even once the whole season? I think when Frank Gore was going up against one of his main <laughs> <laughs> Frank Gore is so nice, he would never get revenge. He's such a uh, professional, he would never even want to get revenge against anybody. But I, so anyway, I'm backing you up, right? Because in football, I don't believe in it and agree hundred percent in basketball. You could have a night where you are giving more effort than the other team in the NBA. And that's easy. You could get 42 points. Like I'll give you an example. Like it wasn't a revenge game, but one of the recent games with my nets, Durant was out and Kyrie was out. We didn't have Harden yet. Karis Levert, who we just traded, he just scored 42 points because he was like, look, those guys aren't playing. I need to just play harder than the other team, and I got to will myself to score. So that's exactly what you're saying. You can just will it for one particular game in basketball. You could take the rock and dominate. You can't do that in football. Now, Kareem Hunt, he's going to – no matter who he plays against, he's a bulldog. He's going to run hard. He's going to run people over, and he wants to show people up. The problem is I do think Kansas City is going to get out to a quick start here because Cleveland, again – when you're playing against the Steelers, where everything is bunched up at the line, everything's a quick pass, and then Kansas City comes out with Andy Reid studying the tape for two weeks now, you don't think within the first three plays they're going to take two deep shots? I tell you right now, they're going to put pressure on these cornerbacks. The first three plays, you're going to see them go at least minimum 20, 25 yards, if not all the way downfield, to stretch these guys out. So when the Chiefs get out to a quick lead and they put the pressure on the Browns, they may need to get away from the run game a little bit. So so the game script is my concern with Hunt, not his effort. And it's not – Cleveland's not going to be ill-prepared. They're going to be prepared. But Kansas City's a different animal. In the, the playoffs, you get to narrow your selections down a little bit and get to investigate some of these games a little bit more. And Devontae Adams today, like for the uh, sports book on DraftKings – is minus 148 to score a touchdown, right? So so Vegas is pretty confident, or at least DraftKings is pretty confident that Devontae Adams was going to score a touchdown. He scored a lot of touchdowns this year. They don't want to lose a lot of money whenever uh, they're putting up that kind of that kind of prop bet on Devontae Adams. Let me tell you what this is. Tyreek Hill, minus 200. Travis Kelsey, minus 162. Nick Chubb, minus 115. So, I mean, they're, they're pretty confident that those guys are all going to be able to score touchdowns. Alvin Kamara, is sitting at minus 200. So this is going to be a onslaught for the Kansas City Chiefs. They believe that these people are going to score a lot of touchdowns. <laughs> 
Yeah, you know what? It's what came first, the chicken or the egg, because that's a great point. But the problem is everybody knows the line is now 57 or 57 and a half, depending on what book you're on. So with the line being that high, Vegas and DraftKings and all the different books, they also know they can set their prop bets high because the bettors have that in their mind that it's a 57 and a half, right? So I'm going to go both games with the same story. I'm taking Baltimore and the under, and I'm taking Kansas City and the under which makes those prop bets risky. But Tyree kills the one guy that they can't answer. And that, that, listen, nobody can. No team in the league can handle Tyree kill. I've, I've tweeted this before. It was last year or it was before the season. You could argue that Tyree kill is the second most valuable player in the entire NFL after Pat Mahomes. They, they might be one and two most valuable because that combination is what changes the entire game. It affects everything on both sides of the ball. The fact that you can't answer Tyree Kill, and if you decide you want to, you want a triple bracket cover, everybody else is going to carve you up. Travis Kelsey's going to have a field day. They're going to run the ball underneath with those little inside handoffs, and there's going to be nobody in the box. So it impacts the whole game. So at the end of the day, I'm going to go both. And I'm going to go Baltimore on the under. I'm going to go KC and the under. And I'm going to watch out for those high prop bets. They look a little bit risky to me. Yeah, and I'm not saying you should take a Tyreek Hill. I mean, I think he's going to score a touchdown. But I'm just yeah. saying, as far as Vegas goes, they're saying, we don't want to lose any money on this one, so we're going to set this really high. You know, you can't you can't win a lot if you do play this, place this bet, which, by the way, they also put the over-under on 320 yards for Patrick Mahomes. I agree with you. I like that this line has gone up a couple of points. So that means to me that I'll trust the beginning of the week uh, uh, over under total. And I will say that this game goes under, but I'll take Kansas city to cover this one. So that's where I'm going on this, John. Yeah. If you, if you want to get that value, by the way, on this game on DraftKings, West brings up a good point. The prop bet for Devonte Adams is less than Tyree kill, but Devonte Adams is 8,600 on DraftKings, and Tyree kill is only 8,000. Yes. So you could play that. You could play that in two ways. You could say, wait a minute, maybe I should take the Devonte Adams prop bet because he's the highest salary on DraftKings and they know what they're doing, right? DraftKings is just like Vegas in general. They have inside information. They have the algorithms. They have all the math. So if he's the highest ranked guy at 8,600, maybe you're getting a good value on that prop bet to take Devonte Adams. That's one way to look at it. Or you could flip it around. You could say, maybe I should take Tyree kill on my DraftKings lineup because he's minus 200 to score a touchdown. Maybe I shouldn't play Devonte Adams at all. Maybe I should have all the Tyree kill. So that, that creates some different scenarios there, just something to consider, or maybe you play them both. Maybe you have lineups where you play both, and then you look for those cheap guys. So you got a lot of options. That's never good when you have too many options when you're building a DraftKings lineup because your head will go spinning in a million different directions. But unfortunately, that's the scenario that we have right now. Not me, John. My head stays crystal clear yeah, all the yeah, time. Right. That hasn't happened once all season. Your head's been screwing off all, all year. <laughs> Tom Brady versus Drew Brees. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are go into New Orleans this week. And I got to tell you about JB's uh, conspiracy theory. I got to tell you about this one. This is going to be a good one. But let's cover this point spread first. By the way, 77% of the money is coming in on the over right now. This game started at 50 and a half points. It's gone up to 52 points this week, John. It, New Orleans Saints started at minus three and a half. They're down to three-point favorites. So this is going backwards again. This is this is going opposite. I think I'm going to end up trusting the beginning of the week wagers on this one, too, or the point total on this one. Yeah, and, it's, and look, you also have the scenario of we all know what the Saints did 
to the Bucks on national TV. We all got hyped up. It was right at the point where Breeze and Brady were dueling for the exact most touchdowns in the history of the NFL from the quarterback position. It was right at that exact moment. They're playing each other on national TV. You got the story of the team who's good every year in the NFC. That's the Saints versus the team that finally has come on based on their new acquisitions, most most importantly, Tom Brady. Everybody was locked in, and guess what? That game was over in three minutes. The Saints dominated that game end-to-end, embarrassed the Bucs. That was the most embarrassing game of the season, except maybe for the Rams losing to the Jets when the Jets had no wins. That, those were the two most embarrassing games of the year. So now you have that in your mind, and you say, well, how could Tampa Bay fix a problem that's that bad? That they lost by so many points, it got dominated in all three facets of the game. How can they fix that? And let me drop some knowledge on you. This game is going to start with the score of 0-0, right? So you got to get that out of your head because I hear a lot of people saying that. They're saying if they got blown out by that much, that's too many problems for them to fix. Guess what? They don't have to fix anything. The the score is 0-0 when the ball gets kicked off. Everybody starts over. So throw that game out, especially now. And here's the one thing that sticks in my mind. And it all comes down to these two words, arm strength. Tom Brady, if you watched him last week, he's not even a little bit tired. His arm is not even a little bit sore. He was throwing laser beams, and he was relaxed back there. That offensive line is coming on strong now. We talked about that as an issue early in the year. They had a a lack of continuity on the offensive line. That's not a problem right now. He's back there. He's calm. He's got his feet under him. He's throwing rockets, man. I would put him in the top seven or eight in arm strength, and the guy's 43 years old. Now, on the other side, Drew Brees, yes, he's getting the ball there, and the ball is mostly on time. However, he's looking a lot like Chad Pennington right now. You remember Chad Pennington? Oh, yeah. He's looking like Chad Pennington. That ball's floating in there, which means, yeah, he's going to get it there when the guy's wide open, but if Tampa Bay makes some plays where they anticipate and they jump the routes a little bit, I think this is what you're going to see. You're going to see one tip pass. So mark that down. You're going to see one tip pass that becomes an interception. That's one. And you're going to see one ball where they jump the route. That's two. So this is another bowl prediction. Very rare are you ever going to see a game with Drew Brees with two interceptions. I think he got two interceptions this game. I'm going to take Tampa Bay. So I'm going to run it through. I'm going to take the Rams, Baltimore, the Chiefs, and the Bucks. Those are my four picks against the spread. John, do you remember your home phone number from when you were a kid? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, sometimes that's what ends up happening. Sometimes teams just end up having the number of the other team stuck Mm -hmm. in their head. Mm -hmm. And I just wonder if Sean Payton isn't really prepared for Tom Brady. I wonder if they haven't just uh, got a game plan, got their own special book for how to defeat not only Tom Brady, but maybe a Bruce Arian system. Maybe, Maybe New Orleans just has the number of Tom Brady, and they understand how to beat him. They understand how to uh, manipulate all the things that he does well and, and force him to do things bad. I really like the Saints in this one, too. I, I, I'm rooting for Tampa Bay just because of JB. You know, I, I'm rooting for that. Plus, I love this conspiracy that JB brought up, and, and it falls right into what you're saying. Green Bay has home field advantage throughout the playoffs, right? Mm-hmm. The Rams... If the Rams end up beating Green Bay, the Rams are going to have to play on the road. If Tampa Bay wins, they would be at home next week facing the Rams. But the Super Bowl prep has already started at Tampa Bay Stadium, whatever that's called. 
The, right. the Super Bowl prep has already started there. So the NFL is not going to want Tampa Bay to win. The NFL is going to want New Orleans to win just to get rid of any kind of that home field advantage part that they that they don't want to participate in in messing up all their hard work and preparing for the Super Bowl. I think that the refs are going to be on New Orleans' side as well. I know that's a conspiracy theory, but you know I like those. Yeah, I like them too. I like conspiracy theories. And listen, we know they're out there without a doubt in the NBA, right? Whether or not you think Tim Donahue is a good guy, right? The referee, okay. which of course he wasn't. He not, you know, he wasn't a good guy at all. However, his stories were so detailed, right? I know we wanted to make a little money selling a book afterward, but we to the point where I remember the games that he pointed out and said, and I said when the games were happening, and I was young, maybe 14, 15, 16 years old, and it, that's how fishy it was. It was bad enough that you could notice it as a teenager without really knowing what a rigged game is, but just saying, how could it be that every foul is going one way, every single one to the point that you would notice? Well, guess what? That's been out there in the NBA for years, and a lot of people think that, and there are, there are eyewitness accounts and a lot of people that have gone on the record. So to say that that's not a possibility in the NFL, of course it's a possibility. It's a major corporation. There's certain storylines they want. There's certain things they want to be prepared a certain way. It's out there. It's a possibility. We, do I believe it? Maybe not. But it's always a possibility. I don't rule anything out. Now, let me ask you the flip side. Do you believe in certain teams just being snake bitten? We have the Saints. Every call has gone against them. Every miraculous play has gone against them. And guess what? This is the week when it happens. It always happens right now to them. Is it possible that they just keep running into a wall to the point where if there are larger powers at play here, they can't even protect the Saints from their own bad luck? Do you believe in that at all? I, I don't know that I believe in that. I do believe that it's hard for a team to lose uh, three times to the same team in one season. I've always heard that narrative, right. but I don't think that that's going to end up happening this week to New Orleans. Last week, they got a lot of favorable calls from the referees, and I understand what you're saying against that wall. I, I just don't see it this year. They got a lot to play for. The rumors are Drew Brees might retire at the end of this year, so this might be their last hurrah. So they kind of have that going through the locker room, in my opinion. Let's win this one for Drew. You know, this is the last time. They got Michael Thomas. He looks very healthy right now, and they've given him plenty of time off. Alvin Kamara is just a machine, and this team has just come together. It looks really, really good right now without any of those uh, defensive <laughs> juggernauts that they had in years past whenever they had to hit Bounty Gate and all that stuff. It, this just looks like a team that's on the up and come, and I'm afraid that Tampa Bay just doesn't have enough firepower to keep up with the Saints. Well, listen, and one thing I definitely agree with you on is I do think Sean Payton is a better coach than Bruce Arians, and I do think he will be better prepared for this game. But the old saying goes, you know, I, I'll tell you a quick story. I'll leave you with this because i got to run after this. Yep. Um, I went to meet some of the front office of the Mets, right? I had an inside uh, event that I went to with Sandy Alderson, the general manager, who's now back. This was years ago, though. And, and the other members of the front office, including J.P. Ricciardi, who was the general manager of the Blue Jays and was a big guy in the sabermetrics and the analytics movement when it started on the come up. And I remember I spoke to them afterwards. So they did a little, they did slides. And then they said, you know, if you, anybody wants to come around and ask questions, it was for season ticket holders. And I had got it through my office. So I went down to talk to them and we were talking about a particular player. His name was Ramon Ramirez. He was a relief pitcher. And it just, he kept falling behind in the count, two and oh, three and one and giving up home runs and really struggling. So I, I remember talking to JP Ricciardi and talking about this trend. And he goes, you know what? He like this. Clear as day. He goes, you know, we told them that, 
But at the end of the day, he's just going to go out there and play, and we have no control over it. I remember that he told me that. So he's like, yeah, you could have all these plans and all these things. He's like, we told him, stop going 2-0. and Stop going 3-1. and Stop going 3-0. and It's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt the team. Guess what? He just kept doing it. So at the I remember that because he was a general manager in the MLB and an experienced guy, and that came from his mouth. So that must be something that these executives and coaches know behind closed doors, right? Because we're not in those meetings. But they must say, hey, we could do all the planning we want. But at the end of the day, these guys got to go out there and play. So at the at, as we get to this final game here, it's a mystery. We really don't know. But I tell you, it's going to be fun to watch. That's for sure. I look forward to it as well. Thank you so much for your time today, John Frisella. You can find him on Twitter at LegendSports7. You can find his blog at uh, the John Frisella blog. That's just what I Google in there, and I find it every single time. And thank you to Brendan Deeg for being on the show as well with us to tell us all about those Philadelphia Eagles. Thank you, Johnny. You got it, Wes. Anytime, my friend. Enjoy the games this weekend, and uh, I'm going to go take care of that problem. You know what I'm talking about, my friend. I'm going to straighten that issue out. That's for sure. I know you will. I can't wait to hear how Johnny 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 Handyman gets it done. I can't believe I can say that. All right. Uh, check out the Fantasy Impact Today Network over on Twitter as well, at FI Today with a little underscore. You can find me on Twitter, at Loafinit. Don't forget to follow. Oh, head over to Anchor FM and follow the program as well there. You can subscribe to the podcast there. Make sure if it's on the iTunes app that you slap those stars around, that you leave a review. But more importantly than all those actions, FitFam, we always want to encourage you to go out into the world and make a positive impact in somebody's life today.